Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. you'll have your text open to Hebrews chapter 11. Finally, we've arrived at the one chapter in Hebrews that everybody likes. I mean, if we're honest about it, uh, Hebrews is kind of a hard book to, to comprehend. Uh, it's written in a different sort of framework than we're used to. We, we grow up on the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, the book of Acts, the exciting... Uh, stories of the of the apostles, and then we read through Paul, and uh, there we get comfortable with the Pauline kind of language as he talks about salvation and grace and those sorts of things. And then we get to the book of Hebrews, and suddenly he's talking about tabernacles. He's talking about shadows and copies and earthlies and heavenlies. Yeah. Suddenly he's talking about the exodus, not just as this grand adventure going through the wilderness, but the exodus as a paradigm for Christian life and that somehow there's a Sabbath rest and we're not sure what it is, but we, we ought to enter it. And, and so we hit the book of Hebrews in our, in our reading and it's just foreign territory. I mean, let, let's, let's agree on this. It, it takes a lot of work to understand the book of Hebrews. You've got to get into the Old Testament and, and understand what the prophets were about and what the promises were about and, and, and get back into that, that sort of um, uh, understanding of God's work among his people. So Hebrews is a hard book to understand, but chapter 11, that's for me. We all understand chapter 11, Yeah. The Faith Hall of Fame. I remember when uh, the boys were going through children's church, they'd, they'd come home. We studied the Faith Hall of Fame, and, and that was just that was a great thing to understand. All these wonderful saints who had, who had been faithful to God and how that had worked out in their lives. And even a child can understand chapter 11. So um, I guess you can relax this morning. Now, this is the easy chapter to understand. Well, not so fast. I'm going to point out something. Put your thinking caps on. I'm going to point out something to you about the book of Hebrews chapter 11 that you may not have noticed. It comes exactly between chapters 10 and 12. I mean, have you seen that pattern? Go back and study it. It goes chapters 10, 11, and 12. Um, if you're into common core math, uh, chapter... Chapter 11 is happy to be friends with, with chapters 10 and 12. It's, it's just a happy chapter. But that's significant because you will not understand chapter 11 until you've gone through the first 10 chapters of Hebrews. Until you first of all have grasped what the Bible is teaching us that there are earthly realities that point us to heavenly realities, that there are things on earth that are just a shadow being cast by the bright light of heavenly truth. That there are things that go on in God's working among his people that are actually just arrows with a trajectory pointing us to Christ. If you don't understand that, you really won't understand Hebrews chapter 11 about faith. 
If you don't comprehend what it means to know that Jesus Christ died for our sins, his blood, the perfect substitute for our life, and that the promise of God is that all who come by faith to Christ will be saved. Their sins will be forgiven. If you don't have that first, then, then all the talk about faith in Hebrews chapter 11 becomes so much motivational speaking. See, that's the ground. That's the foundation. That's where uh, we must travel before we get to Hebrews chapter 11. And so this morning I want for us to look at Hebrews chapter 11, but to do that we need to back up and get a running start into it. So Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1, well, not that far back. But I do want for us to back up to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be looking at verse 36 in just a moment. We're talking about faith here. Uh, as John was leading us in our, in our worship, I, I couldn't help but thinking, you know, one definition of faith is that when I drew near to God, I found out he'd already drawn near to me. And he had simply said, if you draw near to me by the blood of Jesus Christ, I bring you in and I embrace you. And I just, I just love that, that balance. I drew near to you. You drew near to me first. It was God's initiative. That's something of what faith is. Faith is, a, is of course, a, a vital sort of um, uh, concept in the, in the Christian uh, life. When you think about faith, it's very important. You remember uh, uh, Paul in, in, in Ephesians. He says, by grace you are saved. No, it's God's work that saved you. It's nothing that you did. It's, it's not as though you could contribute something to, to your salvation, but God, by grace, has saved us. He sent his son. He purposed that Jesus would die for us. He purposed that Jesus should rise again. We didn't decide that. We didn't accomplish that. We didn't do that. It was all by grace. And when we come to God, it's the gracious invitation and the wooing of the Holy Spirit bringing us into his presence. We, in our own wisdom, we we would never have come to Christ, but God in his grace brought us to him. And so by grace are you saved. But you know what the next two words are? By grace you are saved through faith. That is, faith is the way that we are connected to this grace of God. Faith that comes believing the promises of God for salvation and accepting those promises as the reality upon which all life is based. We come through faith by the grace of God into this saving relationship with the Father. And so that, that's one of the things that, that faith means. It's that saving experience, that saving linking together by the grace of God of our sinful estate, cleansed by the cross of Jesus Christ, now uh, in, in fellowship with God the Father through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's one of the things that grace uh, or uh, faith means. But you, you remember that passage from Ephesians. It says, by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, uh, lest any man sh uh, uh, should, uh, should boast. But then he goes on to say, but we are his workmanship. You know, God is doing something in our lives. We are the workmanship of God, the craftsmanship of God. We are created, we are his work, workmanship, uh, created in Christ for good works. What does that mean? That means that the grace of God not only is designed to bring us into this saving faith and, in, and, and being translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son, but grace also means that God is doing something continually in our lives. 
And grace means that God continues to work in us. And that's another meaning of faith. We are linked to the grace of God that is working out his purposes in us. We are linked to that, that, that motivating grace, that working grace in our lives. We are, we are connected to that by faith as well. So faith is central. It's how we're connected to the grace of God. It's so important that the, the, the disciples, they realize that. Luke chapter 17, they came up to Jesus. The apostles said, Jesus, increase our faith. You ever, you ever pray that? Jesus, increase my faith. You know, normally what we mean by that is the same thing the apostles meant. Lord, increase my ability to understand everything that's going on so that I can explain it and I won't have any doubt or confusion and whatever I need to do, I will simply do it because I will have faith. In other words, what, what they were saying is, Lord, increase our faith so we can float about six inches off the ground and nothing can touch us. That's what you mean when you pray. Increase my faith. You remember the response Jesus gave them. He said, look, you, you, want, you want more faith? Here's how it works. If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you know how big a mustard seed is? No, you don't. I don't either. But it's really small. It's like really, really small. Okay. He said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, if you have microscopic faith and in obedience to the will of God, I'm adding that, but that's, that's the gist of it, and with that microscopic faith, you say to this mulberry tree, see, mulberry trees are really stubborn. You talk to mulberry trees, they never listen. You ever try it? Go, ever, sometime, go up to a mulberry tree and say, hey, tree, why don't you get up and go? It won't do it. It never listens. But if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed and you say to a mulberry tree, get up and be cast into the ocean, you know, yeah, you just, just do this fantastic thing, that tree will obey you. Because the issue is not how much faith you have, it's what you do with the faith you got. It's not how big your faith is, but it's rather in whom your faith is and how that faith translates into your life. Because Jesus went on right after that, Luke 17. I know we're in, in Hebrews 11. I'll get back there in a second. But in, in Luke 17, Jesus goes on. He says, not only is, is it the case that faith the size of a mustard seed can move trees, but if you work for somebody, if, you, if you're his servant and he's the master and you go out and you work in the fields all day and the, and the day is done, the job is done, and you come in from the fields, you come in, you don't expect the master to come up to you and say, wow, great job, guys. Let me feed you. Let me serve you. He says, no, this is a master-servant relationship. When the servant comes back in, he may have worked all day, but he comes in and he says to the master, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? And after the master has eaten, the servants say one to another, you know, we've just done our duty. That's all we did. We have only been obedient to the things commanded to us. What's Jesus saying? saying it's not how much faith you have and whether you have this intellectual capacity to understand what's going on. Faith is a matter of obeying the commandments of the master. Faith is a matter of obedience to the commandments of Christ in your life. So that's, that's how important faith is. faith is. Faith is how we come to Christ. Faith is how we continue in Christ. Faith is how we live in Christ. Faith is how it works out. So with that sort of as a running start, let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, 36. It says, for you have need of endurance. How did he know that? Your translation might say patience. Um, the Greek word there is hupomene. Uh, it's a word that you would use to describe soldiers who were in the line of battle. 
And as they were facing the enemy coming at them, they had to stand strong in the line of battle. And as the enemy came, they had to stay put. They were able to abide under the, the, the assault of the enemy. That's what, that's what the Greek word, that's the picture of it. And so the meaning of endurance is that no matter how hard the enemy comes at me, no matter how often I will be here in the line of battle, you can rely on me. The word patience there is the, the fight might keep going on and on and on, but I will stick to it. I will keep in my place of battle, I will be where the commander has set me. Now, that's the meaning of the word endurance. And the Bible says you have need of endurance this morning. You have need to stay in the line of battle. You have need to, to be reliable rather than cutting and running to stay where God wants you to be where he's put you. You have need of endurance. Now, I, I, I remind you, the, the, the first readers of, of the book of Hebrews were, uh, were tempted to leave the, the church and go back to the synagogue. In other words, they were, they were tempted to leave Christ and, and just go back to a religious expression that seemed to have worked okay. And by the way, if I leave the church and go back to the synagogue, they'll start, stop uh, persecuting me. Now, that's, that's the temptation of the Jews to go back to the synagogue. The temptation of the Gentile, such as most of us are here this morning, the temptation of the Gentile is just to go back to the world. Just go back to the world's values. Go back to the world's style of living. Go back to the way the world thinks about things. Because if you look like the world and act like the world, the world will accept you and they'll get off your back. And they'll accept you. You have need of endurance. You have need to be faithful to Christ. You have need to hang in there with the work of the gospel in your life. So he says you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Underline that word promised. That's what we're talking about here. Because God has promised us things. He's, he's promised us things like, you know, whosoever will may come. He's promised us uh, things like that, that when we come to Christ by faith, that he holds us in the hollow of his hand. No one can pluck us out. He's promised us that when we come to Christ, he will bring us unto himself. And he'll prepare a mansion for us. So that wherever Christ is, there we might be with him. He, all these promises are ours. You have need of endurance. So that the reality of these promises of God in your life will, will, will just form and shape how you live. Now, this will surprise you. As soon as the book of Hebrews says that, he goes back to the Old Testament. I mean, this all he ever does is go back to the Old Testament. He goes back to the Old Testament in, in uh, verse 37 following. He, he, he quotes from the book of Habakkuk. Now, Habakkuk was a prophet who was concerned about the fact that the children of God had been captured by the Chaldeans. He said, God, I know that you've promised deliverance, but I don't see it. How long do I have to wait before you come through on this deliverance from the Chaldeans? And in response to that, in the book of Habakkuk, God says, uh, not only am I, am I coming, not only am I sending deliverance, but you write it down on a billboard so everybody else can read it. And then he says this to Habakkuk. He says, yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. Oh, we see the Messiah in that, the one who comes. God said, the, the one who comes, the coming one, the Messiah. He, he's coming. He's not going to delay. So there's the promise of God. Deliverance with the coming of the Messiah. For hundreds of years after Habakkuk, they did not see it. He said, but you put it up there. My coming one is on his way. 
Then in verse 38, but my righteous one shall live by faith. The person who is right with God will trust this promise of God that the Messiah is coming. He will live according to that promise. He will live by investing himself in the promises of God. And so he will live by faith day by day, making his decisions based on the fact that God has promised the coming one, has promised the Messiah. My righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, if he says, no, I'm not going to do that. says, no, I, I, I don't think I can trust so much. Or if he says, well, you know, this promise of the Messiah, that's a great thing. When it happens, I'll be there. Meanwhile, I, I have a bridge party to go to. I just start shrinking back from Christ. I, I start just sort of distancing myself from the promises of God in Christ. And if he shrinks back, my soul, God says, my soul has no pleasure in him. You won't make God happy when you leave Christ out of your life. And God will not be pleased when you let Christ just be an afterthought. Christ is not uh, filled with pleasure when you decide that you can take it or leave it when it comes to the things of Christ. So, so this, this is the promise to uh, Habakkuk. He, he basically says, here's your need. I've made you a promise. You're going to live by investing yourself by faith in the promises that I have made to you. If you don't, you're not pleasing God. If you don't, you're just sort of uh, retreating back into a kind of destruction. Look at verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. By the way, that's a marvelous verse. You won't understand the book of Hebrews unless you know this verse. Because with all the warnings and the consequences of, of, of abandoning the faith, the author says to his readers, says, but we're not like that. That's not who we are. We're not those who shrink back and are destroyed. That's, that's not who we are. You know, that's why we come to church. You know that, don't you? We come to church to encourage each other. We know somebody's struggling and they're, and they're about to give up. And in, in, in word and in deed, we just put an arm around them and say, look, that's not who you are. That's not your calling in Christ. It's not in your makeup any longer as a child of God to shrink back from the promises of God. That's not who you are. Here's who we are. Verse 39, the last part. But we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. That's who we are. We are a people of faith. Now, at this point, we're ready to read Hebrews chapter 11. Because now we understand the urgency. Now we understand why, why he's bringing this up. It's not just that, uh, you know, faith is a nice subject. I think I'll talk about it for a while. It is rather that faith is the vital link of the people of God to the promises of God. He says, you have a need of endurance. It comes by faith. The righteous one lives by faith. We're not of those who shrink back from faith. We are those who live and walk by faith. Now, what is faith? What is faith? Hebrews 11, chapter uh, 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Your translation might have said the substance of things hoped for. Um, you, you might have read that as, um, um, well, as, as a substance of things hoped for. Uh, the word there, hypostasis, um, it means the undergirding reality. Here's what he means. You got the promises of God 
the promises of God. And when they are so real to you, you could reach out and touch them. Then you know what faith is about. You've got the glory of Christ. The absolute majestic glory of Christ in who he is and what he has done for us. And when you see the glory of Christ, when you see the glory of, of God's grace in Jesus Christ, when you see the glory of Christ and it is so real to you that you could reach out and grab onto that glory, then you know the substance of things hoped for. Then you know the reality of the things hoped for. You see, we have this promise that Jesus Christ is coming again. The day is coming when the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. The sky is going to be rolled back like a scroll. And that day is coming when Jesus will be seen by all the world and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And at that moment... The world will turn to us and say, who is that guy? We'll say, it's Jesus. Have the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will start confessing, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. That day is coming. Folks, I haven't seen it yet. But if he comes tomorrow, it's going to change how I live today. If Jesus is coming tomorrow, it's going to change how I live today. If Jesus is going to come 10 years from now, it changes how I live today. If Jesus is coming in all his majestic glory 100 years from now, it changes how I live today. If Jesus in his wisdom tarries for another 1,000 years, it changes how I live today because there's a reality that the promise of the coming of Christ and when you see that glory, and when you see that promise, and it's so real you could touch it, it changes how you live today. Some of the things you thought were important, they just don't matter anymore. Some of the things that you thought you had to have, you don't want them anymore. Some of the things you thought had to be a part of your life, you don't want them to be a part of you anymore. When all you can see is the glory of Jesus Christ, it changes how you live today. Faith is the substance the conviction of things you don't see yet, but one day we will, by the grace of God. Changes how you live. Changes how you live. That's why he says faith is, is the substance of that. Faith is, is how that becomes real in your life. And you see what God has promised, and you start looking at your life in a whole different light. You look at your problems in a whole different light. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. Um, the, the, um, uh, the, the, the language there in the Greek is, uh, by it the people of old received a testimony. God testified about them. And they were able to testify about the greatness of God. And it was all by faith. It was all by trusting in the promises of God. It was all by lifting your eyes up above the moment to see the grandeur of God's work coming at you. So that, that, that's, that's what faith is. So faith is latching on to the promises of God that become so real in your life that they change, alter, and define how you live and how you see things. Well, what does it look like? That's why we have the Hall of Fame. Uh, the Faith Hall of Fame in chapters 11. He says, let, let me tell you about these old guys, the old people uh, in, in, in the Old Covenant. 
um, and they were faithful, and, and here's how faith worked out in their lives. And he starts out at the very beginning of the Bible. Verse 3, 11.3, he says, By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. By faith, we know that. Scientists know a lot empirically about how the universe is put together and the mathematics of how it's run and, and the, uh, uh, the, the physics of how it responds and, and the systems and all those kinds of things. But it is by faith that we know that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has created this world. It is by faith that we know that God, the Father of Jesus Christ, is the one who's brought the universe into being and that everything holds together by his power and by his will. So it's by faith that we know that. All right, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Then he says, now, by faith, Abel. Then he talks about Enoch. Then he talks about Noah. Noah, by faith, built the ark. God made him a promise. He said, Noah, I promise you I'm going to destroy the world. But Noah, I promise you if you build an ark, you'll be safe. There's a promise of God. And Noah started building an ark, and every swing of the hammer was an act of faith. Every driving of the nail was an act of faith. By faith, Noah responded when God came to him. Uh, goes on to, to, to Noah. Uh, we're still in the opening chapter. By faith, Abraham, this is in verse 8, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place he was to receive as an inheritance. Uh, you know, Abraham uh, called to just go out and journey and walk by faith. God had promised, I'll give you a land. Which land? Well, I'm not going to tell you yet. Oh, that's fine with me, God. I'll, I'll go on with you. And so he, he invests his life. He directs his life. He changes his life based on the promises of God. Um, well, we, we keep uh, reading on. Sarah conceived and a great nation was born, as we heard the choir sing about a moment ago. Um, and on and on. In verse 17, still Abraham. You know he's gone through half of Hebrews chapter 11, and he's still in the first half of the book of Genesis. We're going to be here a long time, folks. I hope you brought some crackers or M&Ms, as the case may be. We will multiply them if needed. It says, by faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. Then he gets down to uh, Jacob and Esau. Then he comes down to Joseph. And we're still in the book of Genesis. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, verse 23. Finally, we get to the book of Exodus. By faith, Moses. You see what he's doing? He's going through the whole Bible. Kind of like the whole Bible is about faith. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. But uh, skip down to verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeing pleasures of sin. Folks, if you had not read the book of Genesis, you would have thought that's a great story of faith. Moses was walking through Egypt, and, and he had a chance. He was offered the, the palatial splendor of Pharaoh, and he said, No, no, I want to be with the Israelites. Here's what really happened. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house, still had a sense and an identity with the children of God. So one day he's walking out and he sees an Egyptian uh, just sort of abusing a, a fellow Israelite, and Moses goes around, nobody's looking, so he kills the Egyptian. He figures the Israelites will appreciate this. They don't. Their answer to him is, Moses, what do you do? You, you planning to kill all of us every time we disagree with you? The Israelites reject him. 
And then he realizes, I can't go home to Pharaoh's household because they're going to reject me. I got nothing to do. So he hits the road. He winds up in Midian. Can you find Midian? Moses couldn't find Midian. He just wound up there. And he spends the next 40 years of his life in Midian tending sheep. I'm telling you, this is a man whose life took a wrong turn. This is a man whose life did not turn out the way it was supposed to be. This is a man who wound up in Midian at the age of 80 years old, tending sheep. And then the voice of God came to him. He said, Moses, I've, I've been listening to my people crying out in their bondage, and I'd like for you to go and be the person I send to set them free. Now, at that point, you've got to put yourself in, in the head of Moses. He's thinking, you know, the Israelites don't really like me. That's why I had to leave. And the Egyptians don't really like me either. That's also why I had to leave. And God, you're sending me back there? God says, yeah, I'm sending you back there, and here's the promise. I'm going to work through you to bring my people out. You tell Pharaoh, let my people go. You just tell him that. And at that moment, Moses had a decision to make. Would he live his life on the things he could see? Sheep, desert of Midian, burning bush, neat trick, but that's all. Or would he define his life according to the promises of God? Would he define his life according to the promises of God? By faith, Moses said, yes, Lord, the riches of Pharaoh's house are not what my life should ever have been about. But I would rather stand with your people, even if it means reproach, even if it means suffering, even if it means persecution, I'll stand with your people rather than with the pleasures of the, of the court of Pharaoh. See, his faith wasn't some uh, mighty kind of uh, a thing where he's floating off the ground like Charlton Heston or something? Is anybody old enough in here to know who Charlton Heston is? Okay. His faith was just a simple, okay, I'll go. Don't understand it. I, Lord, I think you're making a mistake here because you, 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 you know that I stutter. But he said, okay. And by faith, keep reading these verses together. This is, this is cool with Moses because he, he, he got so far off beam, and yet God brought him back, and it was by faith, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He considered it a better thing to be maligned for the sake of the promises of God, all pointing to Christ. That's what, that's what he means by this. Rather suffer reproach, rather suffer persecution for the sake of Christ than to be a part of, of the pleasures and the wealth of Pharaoh's court. You know, when you, you become a Christian and suddenly the world doesn't like it anymore, and they say, look, you, we're going to take away your house. 
We're going to take you away. We're, we're going to let people sue you because you wouldn't bake them a cake. And we, we think you're an evil, mean, nasty person because you won't bake a cake. And we're going to take away your house and we're going to take away your business. We're going to take away your livelihood. But I'd rather be suffering with Christ than having a party with the world. That's what faith is. Having your life redefined by the promises of God. Now here's what he says in the verse 26. He considered the, the, the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth, uh, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He was looking past the moment to see the promises of God. And the promises of God were bigger than the pleasures of the moment. You see that? That's how faith operates. Well, it, it, it goes on. By faith, he left Egypt. By faith, they uh, kept Passover. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. At least we're now in the book of Judges. Yeah. We're not making fast progress here. <laughs> you get the point. Walls of Jericho came down. Look at verse 31. This is an interesting one. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish when those who were disobedient with those uh, because she had given friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab, the prostitute. Can we agree she had made some bad choices in life? Can we agree she was not where God would want her to be? Can we agree that if we searched the city of Jericho, we would not have started, started at Rahab's house to try and find a sympathetic person to the task of, 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 of spying out the city so it could be destroyed? God, in his grace, led the spies to Rahab and moved her heart to hear the promise. God said, I promise you I'm going to destroy this city, and I'm going to give it to my people. And Rahab said, I believe the promises of God. I've heard about this God that you're talking about. I believe his promises. He's going to do what he says he's going to do. I'm going to change my life in accordance with the promises of this God. I will protect the spies. I will give them safety. I will help them get out of the city safely. And that was the act of faith, simply believing the promises of God. Folks, if God can use a Moses who took a, a wrong turn and winds, winds up in Midianville, if he can use Rahab the harlot who made one bad, dumb choice after another, he can use us. And faith is believing in that promise, looking past the moment to see the promises of God. Well, um, <laughs> you know, it finally dawns on uh, the, the, the author of Hebrews, because in verse 32, he says, what more shall I say? Time would fail me. <laughs> Evidently. But here we go. Time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. Now, you know, we, we could talk about all these guys, but, but we're running out of time here. So let's, let's close in. Let's make the point. This is what faith looks like. But here's what else faith looks like. It says, when you, when you th think of all these great heroes of faith, here's what it looks like. Who through faith conquered kingdoms? I like that. I want to conquer a kingdom, don't you? Enforced justice stood for truth in the American way. No, that, that was... Uh... <laughs> but enforced justice obtained promises. Stop the mouths of lions. Wouldn't you like to be able to do that by faith? 
You know, for some reason, the picture I have is, you know, you're, you're, you're in the office and the boss comes in and he's reaming you out for something you did not do. You know, he's just hovering over you, he's telling you what's bad, and he had garlic for lunch. And you just want to reach out and stop the mouth of the lion. By faith, you can do that. Well, let's see, where are we? Stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword. We're made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Why, even the women got their dead back by resurrection. That's what faith will do. That's the kind of faith I want. I want the kind of faith that when I got a problem, I can just turn on the faith button and everything just works out. I just say, yeah, I'm, I'm trusting God. I have faith in God, and suddenly everything starts to fall into place. I want that, that, that kind of faith where I can just sort of cash it in, turn on the faith button, and, and God has a little light that goes ding, ding, ding. Says, oh, I better give Wayne something so I can stop the mouths of lions. That's what I want to do. Here's what else faith is. Look at verse 35. Some were tortured. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. You could find that verse in your newspaper tomorrow. Our Christian brothers and sisters, tortured. But rather than seek relief from the pain the suffering of the moment, endure, faithful to death, because there's a better life than this one. Looking past the moment to see the promises of God. We read on. Others suffered mocking and flogging, chains, imprisonment, they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. That's what faith means sometimes. You have need of endurance, not so that you can come out on the other side of a happy talk sermon, not so that you have a neat trick up your sleeve so that you can always win. You need endurance so that you can be faithful to the promises of God. You need endurance so that even unto death you can be obedient because that's what faith is. Faith is not some coin we turn in to get what we want. Faith is how we are connected to what God wants. And we may not see it now. We may not see it for a hundred years. We may wait until Jesus comes. But one day we'll look at everything that has happened in our lives. And by faith we will say, Jesus doeth all things well. You have need of endurance. That's what faith is. Well, let, let, very quickly, you want more faith? 
I'm, I'm going to give this to you very quickly, for time would elude me if I want to read the rest of it. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore. See, now you know what that means. Therefore. Because you have need of endurance, and God has always worked by grace, appropriated by faith. Faith looks past the moment to see the promises of God. Faith has life today changed on the basis of what God promises in his grace towards us. Therefore, because that's what faith is. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that we would prefer. Let us run with endurance the race that the other guy got. Let us run with endurance the race that uh, seems comfortable to us. Let us run with endurance the race course that we told God to set out. Or does the Bible say this? Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here's how your faith increases. Looking to Jesus. That's it. That's it. Looking to Jesus. That's the theme of the book of Hebrews. Remember chapter 3, verse 1. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our faith. Oh, by the way, look at the, uh, verse 3, chapter 12, verse 3. Consider him. See, we, we, we came right back to where we started. Consider him looking to Jesus. And that's how faith grows. That's the meaning of faith. Not having all the answers, not even having enough strength, but simply looking to Jesus beyond the moment to the promises of God in Christ Jesus. You have a need for endurance. You have a need for endurance. You need to run a race and it's set before you. Look to Jesus. That's the meaning of faith. Let's bow for prayer. And Father, how kind and gracious you are to us constantly, over and over again, coming to us. And even when we've made those bad choices and wrong turns and we've wound up in places we ought not to be, yet you come to us by grace. Father, open our eyes to the reality of Christ, that, that we would be fixed upon him, that his glory would shine into our lives today, transforming us, transforming how we live, that we indeed might walk by faith. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.